So this passage has left you with lots of questions. Death by lions, a blindfolded prophet, a fight over a vineyard, dogs licking up blood. We've been asking questions about obscure details throughout this book. But the most important question to ask is, when is this promised king coming? The Lord promised a king to Abraham and Jacob way back in Genesis. And he tells David in 2 Samuel 7 that this king will be both David's son and God's son and will reign forever. We're waiting for a king, but it's not looking hopeful. Solomon, Jeroboam, Rehoboam, Abijah, they all had divided hearts and followed idols instead of God. King Ahab came on the scene in chapter 16 and he got a damning introduction. This is what it says. Ahab did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. He's the worst of a bad bunch and he's lived up to the reputation. Even though the Lord displayed his power at Mount Carmel by sending fire down from heaven and has sent his word through prophets, Ahab remains totally defiant. We saw in chapter 19 that he rejected God's covenant and his wife has set out to kill Elijah, God's prophet. His problem isn't ignorance, it's total defiance of God's word. But let's be honest, we're not so different. God speaks to us through his word and we put our fingers in our ears and we say, I'm not listening. I don't care if it's selfish, I really want to pay rise. I don't care if it's ungodly, this person's really making me angry. I don't care if he's not a Christian, I'm going to date him anyway. Our reactions reveal our hearts. They're, they're divided and defiant. And these chap chapters teach us this sad cycle of what divided hearts do and what divided hearts deserve. That's the repeated pattern. Ahab's actions show us what defiant hearts do, and he's confronted by the word of the Lord to tell us what divided hearts deserve. Think of it like a boxing match. Ahab fights the word of the Lord, but the word delivers the punches back. There's a battle going on between the two. So round one, chapter 20 teaches us that defiant hearts are easily compromised. In verses 1 to 30, Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, picks a fight with Ahab and Israel. They have two big battles, but before each battle, the Lord sends a prophet to Ahab. Verse 13, do you see this vast army? I will give it into your hand today. Then you will know that I am the Lord. He says the same thing to Israel in verse 28. Look with me. I will deliver this vast army into your hands and you will know that I am the Lord. God wants to be known. He hasn't given up on Ahab and Israel. He's pursuing Ahab despite his rejection. And when the tiny Israelite army described as two small flocks of goats, when they defeat this mighty Aramean army twice, You'd expect Ahab to say, wow, now I know that the Lord is God. But instead we see what divided hearts do. They compromise. Look down at verses 31 to 34 with me. So Ben-Hadad comes groveling back to Ahab and asks, please let me live. And Ahab 
defies the word of the Lord. He, he flirts with the enemy by calling Ben-Hadad his brother. He makes a treaty with him and he lets him go. It might seem kind, but it's an act of disobedience. This is what divided hearts do. They compromise their loyalty to God by making disobedient friendships with the world. What do divided hearts deserve? Well, the word of the Lord comes back on the scene in verse 35 to deliver the punches. The prophet acts out the word of God in this kind of bizarre three-part drama we've got going on. Acts 1 in verses 35 to 36, part 2 in verse 37, and part 3 in verses 38 to 40. And we don't have time to go into the details uh, of all the dramas, but there are common threads that run throughout the three. Number one, God's command to either strike an enemy or guard a captive. Number two, a person's response, whether that's obedience or disobedience to that command. And number three, the consequence. And in Act 3, we get the take-home message of the drama. Let's look at verse 39. So a servant was given a captive and told, guard this man. If he is missing, it will be your life for his life, or you must pay a talent of silver. While your servant was busy, here and there, the man disappeared. This is your sentence, the king of Israel said. You have pronounced it on yourself. King Ahab knows the truth, that the servant who disobeyed his master by letting the captive go deserves death. But here's the irony. Ahab doesn't know that this drama is about him. The prophet delivers the punchline in verse 42. This is what the Lord says. You have set free a man that I had determined should die. Therefore, it is your life for his life. Your people for his people. Ahab had spared the man the Lord meant to destroy, and his disobedience is deadly. This is what divided hearts deserve. Death, your life for his life. This seems unkind, doesn't it? Why would God punish someone for sparing someone's life? But Ben-Hadad is an enemy of the Lord. He, he threatened to turn Samaria into a heap of ruins and wipe out all of Israel in verse 10. And Ahab has defied God's word. Deuteronomy 20, 13 demands that you finish off an enemy if the Lord delivers them into your hand. So the prophet isn't saying anything new here. He's, he's restating the curses that come from breaking God's covenant. Through this drama, the Lord is demonstrating how seriously we should take his word. We need to pay attention to this warning. It is not safe to ignore the word of the Lord. This is what divided hearts deserve. When we compromise our loyalty to God by making disobedient friendships with the world, we deserve death. So where are we doing the same? Where are we compromising our obedience to God by making pacts with the world? Well, we shake hands with the world when we pursue relationships we shouldn't or, or use language we shouldn't. We go to bed with the world when we embrace its values and strive to glorify ourselves, whether that's in our career, in exam success, 
in family life, in wealth, and in popularity. James calls out for what it is in James chapter 4, verse 4. He says, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Friendship with the world is adultery. It's two-timing God and a sign that our hearts are divided. Our defiant hearts are easily compromised. Stay awake, stay with me, we're on to round two. Chapter 21 teaches us that defiant hearts are prone to anger. Ahab ends the last chapter sullen and angry, and he continues that way. He wants Naboth's vineyard to grow his spuds and carrots, but it's not on the market. Naboth replies in verse 3, The Lord forbid I should give you the inheritance of my ancestors. Naboth isn't being stubborn. He's being faithful to the word of the Lord. Leviticus 25 says that your land is a gift from God, and if you don't need to sell it, you shouldn't sell it. Naboth cares what God's word says, so he refuses to sell. How do divided hearts respond when they don't get what they want? Well, Ahab goes home, sullen and angry, lies on his bed sulking, and refuses to eat. He's like a toddler who throws a tantrum when he doesn't get the sweets he wants. He goes in a strop and refuses to eat his lunch. This is what divided hearts do. They covet and sulk. And what happens next shows us the sobering reality of where our anger can take us. Ahab, our stroppy toddler, hasn't come downstairs for his tea. So his wife Jezebel comes up to see what the matter is. And like a stroppy child, he says, Naboth won't give me his vineyard. And Jezebel essentially says, Ahab, are you a king or a wimp? I'll get you that vineyard. And so Jezebel plots Naboth's murder. And in verse 13, Naboth is taken outside the city and stoned to death. It's a heartless murder, and with no hesitation, in verse 16, Ahab takes possession of the vineyard, and he gets what he wants. This is what divided hearts do. They murder. But again, he doesn't get away with it. The word of the Lord fights back. Ahab has aroused God's anger and is confronted by Elijah. Verse 20. You have sold yourself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord. I am going to bring disaster on you. I will wipe out your descendants and cut off from Ahab every last male in Israel, slave or free. In verse 19, dogs will lick up your blood. It's brutal, isn't it? This is what divided hearts deserve. Death and destruction for the whole family. If this seems harsh to you, we need to understand how seriously God takes sin. He will not tolerate this heartless murder. But we also need to see that Ahab's problem goes much deeper than murder. I'm a medical student and I'm based in a GP practice just now. 
And when people come to their GP, they expect them to look at their symptoms and tell them if they've got an underlying disease. Doctors look at the external signs and try to identify the internal problem. And that's exactly what the writer of Kings does for us in verses 25 and 26. Let's read. There was never anyone like Ahab who sold himself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord, urged on by his wife Jezebel. He behaved in the vilest manner by going after idols. See, Ahab's actions weren't a one-off mistake. They are the symptoms of a heart that is divided, a heart that goes after idols instead of God. That's the root cause of his anger. So what about us? Do you covet and crave what other people have? Do you get angry and sulk when you don't get what you want? Do you seek revenge when people get in the way of your agenda? These are signs of a divided heart. Now, we might not murder, but Jesus is clear in in, in Matthew 5, verse 22, that just as murder deserves judgment, anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. It's scary stuff, but we need to take this warning seriously. God will judge those who harbor anger. If you're aware of this selfish anger within you, there is hope. This is a really exciting part of the passage. Look at verse 27 with me. Ahab tears his clothes, he puts on sackcloth and fasts. And the Lord has mercy. Look look at verse 29 with me. Because he has humbled himself, I will not bring disaster in his day, but I will bring it on the days of his son. In his mercy, God will delay his judgment. If you feel guilty and weighed down by sin, there is hope. There is hope even for Ahab, the worst king ever, the guy who just murdered a man for his land. And we have a greater hope. God hasn't just deferred his judgment for future generations, but has directed his judgment towards his son. Humble yourself like Ahab and seek mercy in the Lord Jesus, who died on the cross to take disaster in our place. Time for round three. There's a lot to take in, so let's have a stretch, keep yourself awake, and and stay awake for the next chapter. Chapter 22 teaches us that defiant hearts despise God's word. Ahab's repentance seems to be genuine, but short-lived, And so he plans uh, to team up with Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, and go to war again. Jehoshaphat suggests they seek the Lord's counsel. So Ahab gathers 400 prophets who say, go for it. The Lord will give it into the king's hand. But Jehoshaphat sees right through these false prophets and asks for a real prophet of the Lord. Ahab's response is tragic. It reveals that he's got his fingers firmly stuck in his ears. Look at verse 8 with me. There is still one prophet through whom we can inquire of the Lord, but I hate him 
because he never prophesies anything good about me, but always bad. Ahab knows that these prophets are lying, but he's not interested in truth. He cares more about propping up his own agenda. He hates Micaiah. He would rather take shelter behind the smokescreen of lies than listen to the word of the Lord. This is what divided hearts do. They despise God's word. The corrupt prophets continue to say what Ahab wants to hear. Attack and be victorious. And in verse 13, Micaiah is under huge pressure to do the same. But Micaiah refuses to twist God's word. Verse 14, I can only tell him what the Lord tells me. It's like one of those dramatic body versus goody moments in films where you want to just jump out your seat and say, yes, come on, Micaiah, stand your ground. But Micaiah's prophecy ends up saying exactly what every other prophet has said. Look with me, he says, attack and be victorious. So did he just crumble and follow the crowd? No, from, from Ahab's anger, angry response in verse 16, it sounds like Micaiah was being sarcastic. He tells Ahab the truth in verse 17. I saw all Israel scattered on the hills like sheep without a shepherd. And the Lord said, these people have no master. Let each one go home in peace. Israel will have no shepherd and no master. In other words, Ahab's going to be knocked out. This is the final round. So Ahab goes in the huff again, and Micaiah explains how the Lord has planned Ahab's death by sending a spirit into the prophets to deceive Ahab. It can be easy to get distracted by details here, but this is not a pattern for how God works in the world, but what he did in this instance to bring about Ahab's death. The key point is that the Lord is pulling the strings to punish Ahab, just as he said he would in chapters 20 and 21. Verse 23 is a good summary. The Lord has decreed disaster for you. What's the response? Well, Zedekiah slaps Micaiah in the face and Ahab chucks him in prison for speaking the truth. Ahab despises God's word by despising God's prophet. Listen to these words of total defiance. He says, until I return safely. He's cocky enough to think that he's coming home after battle. He has heard God's word, but he says, I'm not listening. I'm going to do what I want to do. But Ahab doesn't pull the final punch. He gets what he deserves. He must believe Micaiah's prophecy even a little bit because he dresses in disguise and sends Jehoshaphat into battle as his guinea pig. But these tactics are no match for the word of the Lord. Verse 34. Someone drew his bow at random and hit the king of Israel between the sections of his armor. Ahab is dead and the dogs lick up his blood. But we know it wasn't random. It happened, verse 38, as the word of the Lord had declared 
and his divided heart gets what it deserves. So what about us? We're not Israelite kings, but we are prone to think and act like Ahab. And the warning in this passage is really clear. People who have divided hearts and defy God's word deserve punishment. These chapters provide a helpful checklist for examining our own hearts. So question one, where are we making dangerous and disobedient friendships with the world? Are you living God's way or the world's way when it comes to sexual relationships, to following the crowd at school or at work, to pursuing wealth and status? What actions this past week suggest that you care more about fitting in with the world than being different for Jesus? Question two. How do we respond to rebuke from God's word? When Ahab was rebuked by the word of the Lord in chapters 20 and 22, he was raging, he kicked off. When you're convicted by something in the Bible or a friend rebukes you, do you respond with prideful anger or humble thanks? Question three. How do we respond when we don't get what we want? When Naboth refuses to give Ahab his vineyard, he storms off in a sulk and murders him. We all want lots of things, whether that's an A in our essay, more love and attention, a bit of peace and quiet. But when you don't get it, what does your response say about what you treasure in place of God? Question four, who do you listen to? That's the big question in chapter 22. Ahab had a choice to listen to the false prophets who gave him the lies he loved or Micaiah who gave him the truth he hated. Where do you look for for guidance in life? And if if it's going to God's word in the Bible, do you pay attention to that guidance? James 1 says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, do what it says. Ahab was totally defiant and said, I don't care what it says, I'm going to war anyway. Do you ever have the same attitude? Well, like Ahab, our responses to these questions reveal our hearts. How we respond to life's circumstances reveals what we love in place of God. We love money, so we embrace our company's culture of working long hours. We love to be loved, so we get angry when we don't get attention. We love to be right, so we ignore correction from God's word. And like Ahab, our hearts determine our fate. But the story doesn't stop here. We've seen a glimpse of God's mercy already, but there's more. 
800 years later, the Lord Jesus came and perfectly fulfilled that checklist. He is the complete opposite of Ahab. While we are disobedient, Christ was perfectly obedient. While we have divided hearts, Christ was wholeheartedly devoted to the Father. While we are defiant, Christ was totally compliant with the word of the Lord. Even to the point of death, he said, not my will, but yours be done. And while our divided hearts deserve death, his devoted heart deserves life. And here's the climax of the Bible story. That although Jesus deserved life, he died on a cross. He died for people with divided hearts. And when we come to Jesus in repentance, recognizing that we are divided and trusting that he will save us from the death we deserve, we gain his life. We swap places. He takes on our tainted track record so that we gain his perfect track record. He suffers our death so that we gain his life. Seek the Lord Jesus. Humble yourself. Find mercy in him. Whether you're not a Christian and you're aware of God's judgment and destruction awaiting you, or you are a Christian and you feel weighed down by your shame and sin, there is grace for divided hearts in Jesus Christ. He gives us more grace. This chapter ends with a summary of two kings. Jehoshaphat, who was good but weak-willed, and Ahaziah, who was downright evil, and we're back to the question we started with. When is this promised king coming? Well, the king has come. Jehoshaphat continues the bloodline to Jesus, the perfectly devoted king who gives life to all who believe in him. Let's pray.